glucose sugars and things like that uh, they just can't be properly utilized by the cells and this is super important for all of our neurological functions because you need the proper form of the pre-amino acids plus enzymes to make any of the neurotransmitters and so if you've used up all the enzymes or you aren't able to digest your food enough then you're just compromising some of the most important parts of our body Welcome to the Miracle Plant Podcast, the show that inspires, promotes, and gives you a daily dose of inspiration from the people who have used cannabis to change their lives in extraordinary ways. Here's your host, Justin Benton. Welcome back to the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant with so many names and how it's changing people's lives in so many extraordinary ways. Well, today we have my mom, and I wanted to allow her the opportunity to join us and talk a little bit more about the article from Oregon State talking about how CBDA and CBGA are restricting COVID from entering human cells. And it's pretty groundbreaking for our country. Uh, we've known about it from other countries, but I, I definitely wanted to uh, welcome my mom to this stage and uh, welcome, welcome. So I'm sure you got a chance to revisit it. It's uh, pretty interesting to, you know, find out we're here at this time where, you know, like I said, when people were sending me these articles, I was like, okay, yeah, I already know that. And then a friend of mine, Amos, um, who is uh, starting a hemp juice bar in uh, Texas, uh, and he's actually building the juice bar himself out of hemp. So it's hempcrete, which is so cool. Very good. Uh, he uh, reached out to me on um, social media and he underlined the CBGA part of the research. And um, so that's after about two or three days, I actually went and read it because I was like, well, I already know this and I'm busy. And so, but when I started seeing them talking about CBDA and CBGA, um, that those were the two chemical compounds that they were researching that showed that it was uh, resisting or keeping the uh, COVID virus from penetrating the human cells and their ACE receptors. And so um, here we are two years later, after you had published in your research that we were pretty much forced to take it down. And, um, uh, you know, I, I talked a little bit about this previously, but um, you know, it sure would have been nice if we were able to um, make this common knowledge uh, two years ago, but uh, here we are. And uh, thankfully, the Oregon State and American University Institution has put this out there. The news is picking it up. The comedians are picking it up on the late night talk shows. So uh, we'll just roll with it now. So welcome to the Take Control of Your Health Summit. I'm uh, happy to have you here, Mom. What's going on? I'm just excited to be here. And I'm very excited about that article. It was very frustrating, as you know, in the beginning when I did all the research, very in-depth PubMed research, uh, showing the main properties of CBDA and how they totally matched what the scientists were looking for, for a solution to dealing with COVID. And it was so well documented and it was so frustrating then. But there was kind of a ban then, it was by the FDA, I'm sure it was involved on some level, that you just cannot say anything helps with COVID unless it's a FDA approved pharmaceutical. So again, too, we kind of get pushed off the plate of actually offering solutions for people. And the only thing I like about, I might mean, love that they're coming up with articles about the CBDA and the CBGA. Um, I just hope people just don't see the word cannabis and think they should just smoke more pot. Um, or marijuana, just because when you're smoking it, you're decarboxylating it. So you no longer have CBDA or CBGA. And there's also some research, A, if you're smoking anything, it irritates your lungs, which is a lot of ACE receptors. And then sadly, THC actually lowers the immune system. So it's not something I recommend highly in excess if you've been exposed, if you're in, out and about or not masking. But anyway, so just understanding that the cannabinoids the very basic cannabinoids that the plant makes before they are transformed in any way offer an amazing solution um, for prevention and for treatment. And I guess for prevention, you'd probably have to be on a protocol of taking it at least three times a day. 
Um, so that was something we need to do some more research on uh, what you'd need to, how much you'd need to take and how often. Absolutely. Well, speaking of which, I need to take myself a little CBDA and CBGA right now. So for those of you that don't know, you do like a half a dropper like that. And you hold it right underneath that tongue right there for five to seven minutes and do that at least twice or three times a day and take more if you need more, uh, as we always say. So, um, you know, it's it's pretty wild to think that, uh, you know, we were, uh, you know, again, thanks, you know, to Kristen Courtney for joining us. And, you know, I know she's she was under the weather and so was uh, Dr. William Courtney, who couldn't join us. And, uh, you know. It, we were going to just talk about today, the main theme was going to be the pillar of food and nutrition, the third pillar of health, and uh, talk more about how cannabis can be a raw dietary essential, which we certainly can talk more about. But again, everything shifted January 10th on Monday, when Oregon State published the research um, that's on PubMed and peer-reviewed that this, uh, these compounds, CBDA and CBGA, uh, were um, uh, keeping the coronavirus from entering human cells in the ACE2 receptors. So, um, and since you've done all the research on this and people are listening because uh, Oregon State, go Beavers, uh, mm -hmm. published this article, which is on PubMed. Uh, uh, you know, let's talk more about this topic because this is what people- well, sure. If I didn't know, I could have pulled up my research, but that's okay. Uh, the main- uh, information that I shared in my original article was again too. I looked at all the research, and this again is in 2020, and it just as the beginning of the pandemic was becoming well known, and so there was a lot of research out of China and other places that had already been dealing with it, and then their scientists described what exactly they needed to how you handle it, and so then I just talked about our basic four properties of CBDA. Uh, the first one's homeostasis or balance. And the CBDA, since it matches our endocannabinoid or body, our cannabinoid our bodies make, since it matches 2AG that our bodies make, the CBDA is considered a mimic or an analog. So when you take the raw CBDA, it literally goes in the body, acts very similar to the endocannabinoid. And therefore, it's able to go into all of the cells of our body. And it has a super homeostasis or balancing function. It literally balances every system in our body. And for COVID most especially, it's the uh, immune system. And our immune systems are basically inflammation versus anti-inflammation. So the CBDA literally works on that balance of actually how much inflammation is in the body. So it's a super anti-inflammatory, but also another balancing property with the immune system is if you would get COVID, uh, a real common concern, especially with Delta, was the cytokine storm. And that's when your immune system overreacts and there's way too many immune products in your lungs and it actually causes more problems. Um, and so with the CBDA, it balances that so it does not go into the cytokine storm. And on the other end too, if your immune system is underreacting, uh, the CBDA can literally activate T cells to start the whole progression of the immune response. And so it's just amazing the more you research this product. And a lot of it is too, our bodies for thousands and thousands of years have up until the 30s or whenever they made it illegal, our bodies became, received hemp. Uh, our animals ate hemp that grew wild in the fields. Uh, we had hemp we used for medicine. We had hemp we used for food. And so that's why our bodies have that system, uh, the endocannabinoid system, because hemp has been pretty much a part of our human development as we've evolved over the years. And so it leaves it very, very powerful. And, and I can say in control of the body. Uh, along with that balance too, it also balances our endocrine or hormonal system. And that's where the antioxidants come in. It literally balances oxidation versus antioxidation again. So again, too, it's like the strongest antioxidant you can get. There's like vitamin C and quercetin and always some new fad. But this is working within our body, actually balancing those levels. So again, too, the CBDA is a very strong anti-inflammatory, very strong antioxidant. And then the homeostasis or balance um, is another area that is just unmet by anything else that's out there. Um, 
And we you know we have our research. We talk about a lot at the office about the CBDA being uh, 100 up to 1,000 times more powerful than heated or decarboxylated um, CBD or THC from our godfather, um, Dr. Mishulam. So again, too, as far as the um, treatment or whatever, or something to take, it's so hard to know what words we can even say out loud anymore. Um, so if you have COVID, and for instance, you can take it and it will help with many of those different symptoms that you have. Um, it also helps with pain. And it does that by the fourth property, which is working with our nervous system. It literally can repair nerves that are damaged, protect nerves from damage, like if MS or any ongoing chronic illness, and it can also regenerate nerves. And so if you're having pain along with your, um, with your COVID, which you will often have, people have fevers and they have pain and they have aches and things. So the CBD also addresses that. And then the other main thing, as I mentioned, the scientists were looking for was something that didn't cause more problems than it solved. And as you know, many of the medications have side effects and do different things to the body. And so this is a very safe, common product that our bodies totally know what to do with. The minute CBDA gets into your body, your body knows what's going on and how to work with it. And so, uh, and that's just kind of an overview. I had more in-depth little points or whatever in my original research and article. But the basic thing is CBDA will help you if you get it. And that's why it's very excited too, because I had read information about it interfering with the attachment with the ACE receptors, but it's nice to see it in published research because no one wants to hear it unless it comes from published research. And I don't want to share it unless it comes from public research. So again, too, I'm really happy that it brought CBDA uh, into the picture and also CBGA. I personally am a fan of the CBDA. I think it's the form that our bodies most readily use it. And there's a lot more research on it than the CBGA, uh, but there's definitely research on that. And that's one of my next projects to work on it. Yeah, and, and CBGA is super new. And, and I don't want to... Um... I know a lot of there's different ways that we all communicate and I, I try to, you know, remember the simplest ways to communicate with people that really don't even know what the difference is between cannabis, hemp, and marijuana. And, you know, just to kind of break things on a simple basis, uh, we're talking about the plant of cannabis and cannabis is um, the name of the plant. And depending upon the genetics or the, you know, the makeup of the plant, um, We've, we've, we've made these terms, marijuana and hemp. These are American-made terms. So we actually stole the term, a slang uh, term for mota or marijuana from Mexico. Um, and so anything within our country is um, called marijuana if it has more than 0.3% THC. Anything in our country, the United States, with less than 0.3 THC is considered hemp. And uh, we, uh, that's an arbitrary number that was made up by some Canadian. And we're looking to push that threshold to 1% THC to make it easier for the farmers and for those of us in this space to grow products and uh, not have to worry about throwing entire crops away. So hopefully in the 2022 Farm Bill, we'll be able to get that threshold up to 1% THC. Uh, I'm feeling pretty confident that we will do that. Uh, but again, so now we're talking about CBDA. So uh, CBDA is what the form, uh, is what the plant makes, uh, cannabidiolic acid. And so that acid is um, the, the form the plant makes. And if you were to eat raw cannabis or juice it, that is uh, exactly um, what you would be consuming if you were eating raw cannabis or raw hemp in our case, because it's less than 0.3% THC. Uh, so these are, these are these letters that you're hearing, this alphabet soup, CBDA, CBD, uh, and things like that. So we always kind of kid, but are serious. Like if you want to get high, you find a strain of cannabis with high THCA and you heat it and it turns into THC Delta eight. If you want to get healthy, find a, a, some cannabis with some high CBDA and eat it. Um, and actually eating any form of cannabis is great for you. Um, it's just because a lot of people are confused when you, uh, people think if you ate uh, what we call marijuana uh, in this country, but if you ate a form of cannabis with high THCA, 
uh, people think you would get high. In fact, there's a scene in Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke wherein they're getting pulled over and Chong's eating all the, the marijuana. And, uh, you know, he, he goes on this like acid trip or whatever. Well, that's just simply not true. And that's not the case because the cannabis in its raw form in that acid state is not, um, it's not been uh, decarboxylated or is not psychotropic. So um, that is not true. And in fact, you would not get high, you would get healthy is what I always say. So um, finding, um, you know, cannabis and, and, you know, it's all of this has happened. Uh, back in 2019 was kind of a um, was kind of a revolutionary point for cannabis when and hemp and and CBDA when Dr. Raphael Mishulam was uh, you know kind of the godfather if you will of, of modern cannabis he came out to CanMed which is cannabis medical in uh, 2019 to Pasadena flew in from Israel uh, 90 years old or he might have been 89 at the time and he came out to tell the world that. CBDA and the raw form of CBDA uh, is up to a thousand times more uh, effective than CBD. And some of that research was cooperated with Canadian researchers uh, that were specifically looking at nausea and anxiety. And so um, it's, that was really kind of a ticking point, um, you know, and I remember we were there front row when he spoke and stood up and gave him a Rolling Stones roaring ovation uh, and so that was kind of the beginning of the era of people were starting to ask about what is CBDA? Well, in some of the research that was published, they talked about using some chemical reaction to lock the CBDA in. And so people were kind of confused and they thought it was like a volatile substance, which, you know, we use cold extraction and cold pressing types of, of, of uh, methods to create our products. So um, we've never seen any, you know, um, you know, instability of the CBDA. So that's just not true. So um, again, the best thing any of us can do is grow cannabis in your backyard. We'll teach you how to do that. If you have questions, if you need seeds, we'll help you with that. If you don't have a green thumb or don't want to uh, learn how to do that, then that's what our products represent is the simplest simplest representation of a cold press, cold juiced uh, cannabis product. So I wanted to just make it a little simpler for everybody what CBDA is. Um, and um, these are these compounds that were talked about in Oregon State. CBDA and CBGA, um, which is another cannabinoid found in the cannabis plant and all whole plant or all um, full spectrum is another term they use. I don't really like to use that term because it's pretty loose. But if you're using the whole plant and you're keeping it raw, and you're getting all of those cannabinoids in it. So anyways, I wanted to kind of just give a, a base level of information. So back to you. And I wanted to follow up with that. So when we were both in uh, LA for a uh, CBD convention recently, um, they keep talking about CBDA as a minor cannabinoid, which I found very frustrating and actually addressed during my talk because CBDA is the most prolific of all the cannabinoids in the plant to start with. And therefore to me, it is the major cannabinoid and the form it's in is the way the body can most easily use it. It's the most powerful method where it can go through every cell in our body. And so I get a little frustrated. The industry has been a little slow coming to that. And there's so many CBD companies. I think a lot of it is just so much easier just to heat at very high temperatures, very large amounts. And then they do all kinds of separation of the molecules and they do things like winterizing it with uh, ethanol for 24 hours. And it's all these different chemical processes. And so I, it, it, obviously it's a cheaper way you can extract more, it's faster, but the CBDA, like anything holistic or highly nutritious, you need to do it the right way. So that's why we always talk about orange juice that's freshly made from an orange in your backyard is going to be better than tang or a juice box. And so we kind of relate the CBDA as the natural, um, more holistic, healthier form and more bioavailable form that we have. Do you want me to talk at all about my topic for the day or continue on this? <laughs> I know how you like to plan and research and prepare and absolutely if you want. I mean, the, again, the main the main um, conversation was we're talking about taking control of your health. Mm -hmm. And the fundamental pillar that we've come across is the food and nutrition. And, and if you are what you eat, 
And every, every day we make a choice to put something in our body that is either good for you or bad for you. There is no middle ground. And so we have, you know, when we were looking for a solution for my son, uh, we, we, you know, had heard of these incredible stories about how this plant was helping children with epilepsy and seizures, which is neurological. So I connected the dots and said, well, maybe by the grace of God, um, we could um, have this plant help out our son with his neurological ailment and diagnosis. And uh, we tried some products that were on the market. Um, they were all processed. Um, they were all decarboxylated. They were, they were isolated in many cases. And so it was almost like a pharmaceutical version of the plant. And uh, I wasn't going to give up because it made the most sense to my philosophy, my healthy, you know, philosophy of how we, you know, take care of ourselves with plant-based medicine and, and food is our medicine. So as we continue to do more research, that's what I came across, research with Dr. William Courtney, uh, with him and his wife who were on earlier. And um, that's when I saw the raw, the power of raw uh, in the cannabis form. It wasn't, it wasn't readily available. His was the first research I ever came across that showed, and he was using the research for raw juice and cannabis for cancer and having tremendous results. So that's when we decided to grow some, make our own. We grew some out here in Southern California in our backyard. I got some, some high CBDA strains and uh, grew some. We made a real simple cold extracted uh, oil for my son and uh, we gave it to him. There was a, an epiphany moment at a pumpkin patch where he was having a tantrum. Kids on the spectrum can do that. Overwhelmed, socially anxious, you know, hands over ears, kicking and screaming. And we gave him some uh, oil, very similar to the one I just took. And um, we, he snapped out of his tantrum from kicking and screaming, hiding under a pumpkin or under a, a bench. Uh, to two minutes going out and picking a pumpkin with his sister, with the grandparents and everybody being there. And so that was our aha moment, all that we had ever hoped for and prayed for. We gave it to him every day since. He still takes it every day along with the rest of the family with our cold press juicing um, that we use with kale and celery and carrots and all of the organic fruits and vegetables that are good for our body. And along with a lot of fresh hemp, uh, when we have it in season and when we don't, we'll just have it um, you know, from the freezer that's freshly flash frozen. And then along with putting a bunch of our, our freshly uh, made cold pressed oil. So um, that's kind of the backstory of what we were going to talk about was food and nutrition. And it goes more beyond cannabis. I mean, of course, kale, we love kale. We love leafy green vegetables. We did talk a little bit about, uh, you know, being a vegan and, and making vegetable choices and things like that yesterday with Mika and our breath work. But um, I know that was the topic you had planned for and prepared for. So by all means... We can certainly um, go in that direction. I just, obviously it needed to be discussed. This, the news with Oregon State right. is a big deal. Uh, it's right. a really big deal because they're also talking about CBDA specifically and right. CBDA specifically, which people are now, because of this research on late night talk shows, talking about juicing cannabis and raw cannabis. And this may end up being a watershed moment for people to understand plant this plant in the whole plant form being eaten just like another leafy green vegetable is the best thing we could be doing uh for ourselves in many reasons for just staying healthy or or getting over something but it's specifically in this time where everyone has covid top of mind so i will let you go from anywhere you want from there <laughs> okay um and I will mention too, just briefly in my background, for one thing, I've always been holistic and raised just in that way. And um, so we always look for that raw holistic approach in anything that we're doing. Um, and as far as my credentials, I'm an integrative nutrition, certified integrative nutrition um, health coach. I've been a holistic healer is what we called it for years, uh, for decades. And then uh, I'm actually recently certified again at, in uh, integrative nutrition. And I'm also a psychologist who spent years working with a huge range of people with disabilities, um, including autism for many decades. Uh, and so much of what I'm talking about today is what I have learned and what has worked. And I did avoided, like Justin Rice talks about my research projects, I avoided other than research I'd done previously. So this is just going to be what I talk to when I work with people that have problems with their health. 
and also just a general overview of general ideas and methods that have worked. And then if people need more in-depth information, uh, Justin was so kind as to set up a website for me called askjanet.org where you can get free half hour uh, consultations or you can also find it on our website under free consultation. And we take that extra step because we're very dedicated to actually really helping people. It's really easy to walk into a store and just buy CBD somewhere and then you just walk out and you're not quite sure how to take it or how much or what's in it or how it's made. And so it's just very, very important that we have that extra helping hand and especially for complex issues. And again, too, we focus a lot on autism, but also on all kinds of other issues, lupus and MS and ADHD and headaches and all kinds of things. And so again, too, we're very proud that we offer this extra service uh, to make sure people are getting the best benefit uh, and know how to use it properly. Uh, so anyways, that's my background. I've always been very, very interested in food. I've used uh, herbs and foods and oils and things over the years. I've actually helped uh, cure cancer even and repair broken bones from someone who was paralyzed. And so I've always been a healer just overall in that sense. And so this is kind of a combination of just nutrition recommendations and my approach to health that has been working very well for me for decades now. And so anytime you talk about nutrition, you just have to realize everybody's so different. Our bodies are different. Our genetics are different. Uh, the different ways we've um, been harsh on our systems are different. And especially in terms of people who had, you know, maybe had a really bad diet, mainly were eating McDonald's, uh, people were drinking too much, people who never exercise. There's just lots of ways that we can get our bodies in a health deficit. And so my approach here is to find ways to overcome that def deficit and allow your body to actually heal itself and then maintain high energy, high energy and high efficiency. And so the first step for any kind of nutrition is you have to stop putting harmful things into your body. It's really hard to heal or take that extra step to deal with some huge health issue if you continue to put harmful things in your body. And this includes reducing things like uh, way too many pharmaceuticals. I'm often shocked when people come into the office and they, I had one lady who was taking 28 medications, around 10 is quite common. And so pharmaceuticals are great for um, an acute issue, but for long-term chronic use, uh, I think we all have to admit there's some side effects on our kidneys and our livers and other parts of our bodies. And especially with multiple, multiple uh, medicines that are having interactions. Uh, in America, we're great too at eating out, especially during the pandemic, everybody's ordering food. So there's less cooking of food and anything. It's really hard actually to find any kind of super healthy food to order. I have not found it. And we also in America are very addicted to our sugar and our caffeine. And so people often start their day with coffee, with sugar and creams in it. And, or they have soda or pop all the time, or they're eating sugar at night and refined breads. And so we really are putting in a wide variety of foods and chemicals that our human body over the centuries is not used to. It doesn't quite know what to do with it. It's not able to use it well. And a kind of a sad thing too, is if you are bringing in foods that are not recognized by our body, i.e. foods maybe our grandparents ate, if you've moved into chemical type foods or synthetic foods, if our body can't break it down small enough to get rid of it, it literally creates fat cells to put that in to get it out of the bloodstream so the body can function. And so sometimes getting extra weight isn't just from eating the donuts, it's from eating too many processed foods that our body has to create fat cells uh, to keep out of the way. And so my first step whenever I start talking to anybody, especially with significant health issues, is to just go organic. And sadly in our country, there's all kinds of bad memes and everything are mocking people that eat organic. I remember as a, when I was growing up, we called it a, I was called a health food nut because I wanted to eat healthy. Um, and so to me, the very first step is eating or, uh, organic. Um, any food that's not organic, any bite you take of something not organic is going to have Roundup or glyphosate in it, which is a carcinogen and neurotoxin. And it really shows up also working with kids with autism or people that it's a neurotoxin. It's adding to the problems that it's causing. 
And so it is really important just to keep thinking about that. And anything that's not organic is also considered GMO or the genetically modified. And again, too, genetically modifying it must, I think it just makes it easier and cheaper to grow the corn or whatever, but it doesn't add health to our body. And it can literally interfere with the one-celled organisms in our microbiome. And it also interferes with leptin, which tells us when we're full. And so if you've noticed that, I've noticed it in my lifetime, I've been here, where suddenly you have you know, the big gulp pop where you order pasta in a restaurant and it's enough to serve an entire family in the older days. And the problem is if you don't get a signal that you're full, we keep eating until literally our stomachs start to hurt. And that's part of the reason we have what is it, almost 40% clinically obese people in America. And I'm sure that's growing. And you see clinically obese children and babies. And so again, too, eating and drinking organic is very important. And like you say, it can be a challenge. Um, I will note that I raised six children and uh, my husband had died when some of them were still pretty young and I still was able to maintain an organic lifestyle and again too it's just like any uh, shopper that you know has to watch the money a uh, matter of buying sales uh, storing things in advance when they are on sale and so I think I probably spent maybe ten dollars more a week on groceries uh, with the organic and a lot of it or we had co-ops we joined so there's lots of different ways here in America anyway, uh, where it makes it cheaper to get organic things. And then growing it yourself is just the ultimate solution because you know exactly what's in it and how it grew. And then another thing we forget about with organic is it's not just the food and the drink, but it's also our sunscreens, our health and beauty products, the, the detergents we use, the clothing that we buy, um, our bedding, our carpeting, there's just so many ways that the whole chemicalized industry is taking over pretty much everything in our environment. Um, and as I mentioned, almost that the non-organic foods do, again, to the biggest problem is uh, Roundup or glyphosate. Uh, it is one of the strongest, uh, most horrible neurotoxins out there, um, and as well as being the genetically modified things. Um, and often those different foods also have heavy metals and other additives and contaminants. And so some people can survive doing that, but I'm kind of addressing people who have are developing or have developed any type of a serious health issue. And then you, you just really can't get the ultimate uh, health back or really move quickly to get healthy if you're continuing to eat uh, non-organic or, or anything but organic foods. And then even within the food choices we have, even if they are organic or not, um, when you're trying to optimize your health, another huge problem we have is when you're ill, your body needs to be using its energy and its enzymes and everything in the body to try to heal. And so if you eat foods that are hard to digest, that take extra time in your stomach, take extra energy, take extra enzymes, uh, you're making it harder to heal because um, the enzymes, besides helping break down food, enzymes are very involved in making our neurotransmitters in our brain and they're also with the healing process. And so if you used up all the enzymes too soon, just on your food, there's just not enough left for healing or even our brain chemicals like dopamine and serotonin. And so everything is so political these days, but the, just the things, if you're eating non-vegan or if you're not eating plant-based, if you're eating beef and animal products and dairy, uh, bacon, hot dogs, processed meats, you know, the little thin ham slices and things. Uh, if you're drinking a lot of Coca-Cola, if you have to have a donut or a bagel in the morning for breakfast, um, if you are accessing sugar through coffee and everything every morning, uh, all those things are hard to digest. They have extra things in them. And so it's really hard for our body to deal with those hard to digest and unhealthy choices and then try to heal or repair at the same time. Um, and other things, and I think we all deep down know what things aren't good for us. A lot of it's habitual. And then many of the products that we eat that we know aren't good for us are also addictive. If you have enough sugar or different chemicals and things um, or caffeine, any of those things, you're going to notice an addiction and it's very hard. Alcohol, all those things, it's going to be harder to walk away. And, but we all know too that things like microwave popcorn 
uh, in French fries that many people who are vegan, vegan think is, oh, it's a great solution just by the way it's cooked into uh, heated oils and all those sorts of things. French fries aren't really <laughs> that uh, healthy for us. And so we eat so much of the overprocessed non-organic foods. And so again, to um, moving into a vegan or plant-based diet, if you are ill or developing illness, or if you have like a genetic uh, like increased likelihood of having a disease, you really need to look at your diet. And if you're starting to get ill, you need to move quickly in terms of changing your diet. Um, if you still feel pretty healthy, you can just step by step change one food at a time or do things slowly and surely. But if you are in a health crisis, um, and especially these even chronic ones moving towards like Alzheimer's or um, Parkinson's or different chronic diseases that develop slowly over time. Uh, if you see any of those things developing, it's really important to quickly switch. And so the first step is going organic, so you're no longer poisoning your body. And then the next step is to give your body nutrition that it can easily break down and use. And when you eat any type of food, it has to break it down to the very basics. And every whole food is going to have carbohydrates, proteins, uh, fats, vitamins, and minerals. Just these five basic things. And often, if it's not if it's a synthetic food or a highly processed food, all those things aren't even in there that help it break down. And then it makes it really hard to digest the food and break it down to assimilate it into the body and eliminate it from the body. And then your nutrition continues to be compromised. And so plant-based foods just require much less time and enzymes for processing. Um, and the fewer enzymes then can quickly go help with healing instead of just waiting. Uh, and if you've, I'm sure many of you eat meat, probably many of you still do, but if you've eaten something, especially like a solid big burger or a piece of steak, it can sometimes take up to 48 hours to digest. And so it's just kind of sitting there, not great for your digestion or your body's health. And then if the food is not broken down to that lowest state, like the fatty acids and the glucose sugars, things like that, uh, they just can't be properly utilized by the cells. And this is super important for all of our neurological functions because you need the proper form of the pre-amino acids plus enzymes to make any of the neurotransmitters. And so if you've used up all the enzymes or you aren't able to digest your food enough, then you're just compromising some of the most important parts of our body. And I also then mentioned enzymes as another thing. Uh, our, our body makes so many, and I had read somewhere that enzymes uh, are somewhat like, you know, as a woman, we're born with so many eggs, and then that's all. Um, and there's some research showing that enzymes are the same way. We have a limited supply. We don't have an unlimited ability to make hundreds of enzymes. And so again, too, you want to protect those enzymes and use them for healing. Um, and there's enzymes in every cell of our body and our body makes up to 30,000 different types of enzymes. Uh, our pancreas, by the way, is where we create enzymes. And so if you're having digestive issues and eating hard to digest foods, and bad food combinations, you're putting a lot of stress on the pancreas, which is lots of other important things. And then if you don't have enough enzymes, it literally can um, interfere with proper body functions, such as body repair and elimination of waste. So um, if you're healthy, I always say then just, I, I still would recommend a healthy diet, but it's not as critical. But once you start seeing that you're developing problems, and if you really want to be well, you really have to make some of these changes. Um, and again, too, so the enzymes, as I said, so important for uh, digesting the food properly so it can be used by the body. And again, too, we just have to keep those enzymes available for healing and for our uh, neurological system. And an another reason that it's very important to have a plant-based diet and I, there's so many things in the media, I never know what people have heard or not heard about, but I'm very, uh, find it very important, the acid versus alkaline types foods that we eat and how important that is. 
and you determine what's acidic or alkaline by how the body burns it. For instance, like lemon juice and water is a great way to start the day to alkalize your body. And that's because even though lemon juice is seen as acidic, when your body digests it, it is as an alkaline effect. And so what really happens is it's important to know how the body digests it, not just what we think, well, that might be acid or not. Uh, and our body is a finely tuned, intelligent machine. And our pH has to stay about 7.4. And if it gets too acidic, you get what's called acidosis. Uh, then the body will literally leach calcium from our bones, trying to get it more alkaline. And that weakens the immune system. It can lead to uh, yeast overgrowth, uh, low energy, low blood pressure, chronic diseases. And we just don't spend enough time learning about our body to realize how important that is then that we maintain an alkaline body. Um, and then just in general too, alkaline foods contain much higher levels of calcium, magnesium, iron, and potassium. And then the acidic foods have more sulfur and chlorine and phosphorus. And just on the surface, those don't sound like great things to add to your body. Um, so our bodies do need both acid and alkaline foods to maintain that 7.4 level. But in America, especially, we tend to to meet, eat mainly acidic foods, uh, meat, dairy, eggs, fish, sugar, pop, coffee. Um, and so eating vegan then or plant-based uh, with which, because vegetables and fruits tend to be, in fact is uh, all fruits are alkaline except cranberries, which is interesting. Um, so if you're eating fruit and vegetables, you're gonna naturally have a more alkaline diet. And so that's very important. Um, and also, if you're eating more meat-based foods, uh, besides the fact that they're so hard to digest and actually you know, get into your body, uh, they are incredibly acidic. And they also is where you often get inflammation and mucus and also high cholesterol. Uh, vegans, plant-based vegans don't have to worry about cholesterol issues. And so anytime you're getting ill or have a bad cold or something, please juicing fruit and vegetables because any kinds of the meats will actually make things worse. And the same we talked earlier about COVID, when your body's under stress, trying to deal with some huge issue, uh, you don't want to hurt it by giving it again, especially then the really hard to digest, the really acidic foods. And so even within that plant-based diet, people, by the way, always worry about, are you getting enough protein? And I always say, well, look at like, what are our biggest animals on earth? Buffaloes and elephants and uh, baboons. Um, all they eat are, are plants. And they obviously have plenty of muscle and are plenty strong. And we have more and more of our professional athletes too have switched to plant-based diets and are our super athletes. And so it's kind of, I think a media thing to mock people, or oh, you're not gonna get enough protein, um, but truly you can. And some re recommended alkaline proteins or the healthy proteins uh, include things like hemp seeds and chia seeds, flax seeds, quinoa, uh, sesame seeds, rice, walnuts, kamut, I'm not familiar with. Uh, anyway, so you can find lots of alkaline proteins and often they're going to be, again, to the plant-based proteins. Uh, and particular grains are like uh, rice and quinoa and rye and things that are very alkaline. And even basically all vegetables are also alkaline or helpful to our body, including our favorites like avocados and peppers and mushrooms and cucumbers and sea vegetables. And so there's a wide range of alkaline proteins and uh, fruits and, and vegetables. And as I mentioned with the fruits, all fruits are alkaline except cranberries. So you can eat any amount of any fruit at any time. Um, and even our seasonings that we commonly use you know, pepper and cayenne pepper and kelp and basil are also alkaline. So once you stay in that plant-based group, then you are staying in an alkaline diet, which is going to help your health. And then they're also going to be easier to digest. And as I'll mention one more time again, the acid forming foods are like beef, chicken, dairy, eggs, fish, lamb, pork, turkey, veal, venison. And so basically anything that's not plant-based tends to be more acid forming. And even within our foods, like our grains, like barley and corn, and some of those are also acid forming and also the range of dairy products and also acid forming drinks include beer, coffee, uh, heated or processed juices that you'd buy ready-made in the store, um, liquor, and then all sodas or pops. 
And I think deep down, we all kind of know what things are good for us, uh, but many of them are habit forming and just kind of become parts of our day. Um, and then one final thing I, that really stuck in my mind from doing research is we are, you see all the commercials about makes about milk that makes the body strong. But a research study of over 30 years of this large group of nurses showed that the more milk they drank, the more osteoporosis they had. And so we don't always get the truth from our commercials. And so that's another thing to be aware of and do your own research and just consider if you want to keep adding milk to your, to your body. And then another overall area for nutrition is the timing of when we eat. And very popular right now is the whole talk about intermittent fasting. And I keep asking people, what does that mean to you? And it means all kinds of things. I don't eat between this time or that time. Or I don't do this or that. And so I believe in intermittent fasting, but going back to looking at our own digestive system, and it's a, it has a circadian rhythm, just like our sleep and jet lag. And so you know that when you're not eating within, or excuse me, uh, yeah, right, eating within those natural rhythms, that's when you run into problems. And so the natural circadian rhythm of our digestive system is from 12 noon to 8 p.m. is when we should be taking in food. And from 12 to three is when you should eat most of your proteins because that's when you have the more the enzymes and things necessary for their breakdown. And so eat all you want from 12 to 8 p.m. And then from 8 p.m. at night till four in the morning is when our body has to digest, break all the food down into tiny, tiny particles so it can go through the capillaries. And so each row of cells in our body has like capillaries at the top to bring in food and then lymph vessels at the bottom to take away waste. And so you can see that it has to be broken down very, very small to get through there. So from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m., our body's sending out all the food through the capillaries and for assimilation. And then from 4 a.m. to 12 noon, to me, is the most important thing we need to change when we talk about our diets and trying to get healthy, because that's when our body is cleansing. And so going back to the, all the little tiny cells, they'll have a little tiny lymph vessel going along it and it picks up the waste and then it carries it to the lymph nodes and eventually uh, it brings it down, empties the waste into our colon. And, and that's how our body works optimally. But what we tend to do and the majority of people I know tend to do is just eat, especially in America, it's just really push to have the big breakfast in the morning. But if you eat anything but pre-digested foods and pre-digested foods include fruits and then juices made from fruits and vegetables. If you eat anything besides that before noon, the minute you put in like proteins and complex carbs, your body stops cleansing and goes into digestion. And so I know so many people that I don't think their body ever gets a chance to cleanse, maybe a little bit between four and eight or whatever. Um, and when you're not getting all those problems out of your body, you often end up then with more deep seated issues like the chronic issues and things like cancer because you never allowed your body to cleanse. And it's just not part of our culture. And part of, I think our culture is shaped again by commercials who are trying to sell breakfast foods and pastries and eggs and bacon and everything for the morning. And so it's fine, like on Sunday, if you wanna have whatever you want, I like to recommend an 80-20 rule, but you've got to have get the general habit in the morning of like juicing and eating fruit in the morning and then waiting till at least 11, if you can do it before you start adding in the large meals. Um, so my whole idea of intermittent fasting is to follow circadian rhythm, eat nothing but fruit or juice from 4 a.m. to noon. And then again, eat between 12 noon and 8 p.m. and then allow your body to send out and assimilate the food from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. And so a lot of this might seem foreign or odd, but truly is the, the ultimate way to, uh, to eat and when to eat. And it's just really important, to, again, I try to focus on people who I work with that tend to have chronic issues or life-threatening issues or like issues like the autism that have been around. And so along with any other program you're doing, and it doesn't matter if you're reading a lot of CBD, if you have a horrible diet, is this gonna make it that much harder um, to recover? Um, and again, to, for one thing, we see so much advertising and temptation of everywhere you go to have so many sweets or have that sweetened cereal in the morning 
or, you know, grab a, I've gone through Starbucks, I must admit it once or twice. And they have all these breakfast sandwiches with all these odd combinations of things. And then the final thing is that we all need to have a daily bowel movement. And if our colon is full, because we haven't had a daily bowel movement, then it can't literally em empty the whole lymph system of cleansed waste. Uh, it literally can't empty into your colon, get out of your body. And then it tends to back up in areas of weakness. And we all have unique areas of weakness. For instance, mine is sinus. So I will end up with sinus infection. Some it's their chest, some it's their ears. And so again, too, it's just so critical that we're eating healthy, we're getting our fiber and having daily bowel movements, uh, just on that basic level of allowing the body to get rid of the waste each day. And then a, a, another area related to diet is our food combinations. And again, too, I just don't understand why this information is out there, but it's just not being popularized enough. Um, so for instance, so fruits. Fruits and juices, as I talked about, are pre-digested. They go into your stomach. They're just out quickly um, and your body can use them. And that's why if you have a, 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 any kind of a major illness or anything, fruits and juicing is just highly recommended. I always recommend juicing if you have any kind of a problem. And buying bottles of juice at stores or you know the sunny dews, those don't count. And so just the fresh juicing is like the best thing you can get. So again, too, you just eat and you eat that. So therefore you eat them alone. You eat your fruit and your juicing by itself and wait at least 30 minutes before you put something else in there. So it can just go through the body and be used without something interfering with that absorption. Um, and then there's two more steps to that. So fruit and juice by itself and then proteins and all your meats and vegan ones or non-vegan ones. You can combine them with cooked vegetables or fresh vegetables or salads. And then carbohydrates can also be combined with cooked vegetables or fresh vegetables or salads. But the big no-no is you do not eat proteins and carbs together. And in America, that's what we do. We have you know, steak and potatoes and hamburger on a bun and tuna fish on a bun and uh, chicken with French fries and, uh, or, and bread and so, or potatoes. And so the problem is that proteins and carbohydrates digest at different rates and they need different uh, proteins and enzymes to break them down. The carbohydrates break down very quickly and turn into sugars. And if you're sitting there, you know, with all the protein from your mashed potatoes already digested into carbohydrates, and you've got like a big hunk of uh, hamburger or steak in there, it will then ferment the proteins. And so your stomach doesn't empty until these things are broken down. And so by the end of the day with that combination in your stomach, it's neither is being utilized or broken down uh, correctly. And it can lead to indigestion and all kinds of health problems. And plus a backup again, creation of more mucus and things from the meats that are just sitting in your stomach and not moving. Um, so again, too, that's just another very important area, and it takes a lot of training to kind of figure out how to do that and find substitutes to eat with your proteins and in, with your vegetables. And so those are the major recommendations, you know, eating organic, uh, going plant-based, uh, eating within that natural cycle, circadian rhythm of digestion. And then uh, being aware of the acid alkaline types foods you're eating and then the timing of your eating and food combinations. So it sounds like a lot. And that's why I say just hit me a line or check out my uh, individual uh, information if you want individual consultation about it. And so if you're having an illness or chronic condition that gives you motivation to more quickly move through these different additions or changes in your diet, but even when you're healthy, you can start making changes one at a time, uh, get some healthy water. You can start waking up in the morning and have water, a glass of water, and then eat an apple before you even move on to maybe even having your coffee or have lemon juice and water. So there's many, many easy ways to help make that transition, but it's so important to start at least in one of the areas and start making improvements. And so many Americans right now have poor diets and are in poor health and are overweight. And so it's just so important that we start making some changes uh, in our diets 
and also in, again, how and when we eat and what we eat and with what we eat it. Uh, so those are my overview of the methods that I use and that I've used for many, many, many years uh, to help people resolve some very complex issues. And I'm very excited now too, I will admit it, having the raw whole plant holistic CBDA has, it, to me it's almost, it's an overused term, but magic bullet. Um, but it adds so much more to any other type of approach I'm doing that I always recommend that along with any other issues people are having with their health. And I see Justin is busy right now. We're keeping our store open today while we run this conference. So anyway, if you have any questions, please raise your hand uh, or pop in or send me a note and I'll be glad to answer any questions that you have. And so Justin, I have run out of words for once. I highly doubt that. So yeah, we, uh, we have a store here in Ventura and um, you know, we um, have people that come to us for very specific uh, health ailments. And uh, we give some awesome uh, compassionate discounts. And uh, even when we say we're closed, people still come through the door because they need <laughs> plant CBDA, uh, high in CBDA, high in CBGA, and all the other cannabinoids in the A um, state. So that's awesome. I mean, that's always great. And, um, you know, wonderful information for you to share. And uh, we have it here documented. And uh, again, we're going to give you everyone an opportunity to uh, get a deal of a lifetime. We'll be talking about it after lunch. We're going to break for lunch right now, but we're going to give you the every product that we sell. We're going to give you all of the recordings. We're going to have a month monthly coaching call. We're going to have a one-on-one -on -one calls. Uh, we're going to give away signed copies of books. All of this stuff is coming. Uh, we're going to um, um, give you an, an you know, ability to have this for the rest of your life. Um, and not only have the information, but incorporate the information. Because I know a lot of us probably learned a lot this morning on all of our talks. And uh, it's like, wow, and it's exciting to learn information. But if we don't actually put the information into practice, if we don't implement or make the changes or do those things, then it's actually kind of worse than even knowing that you have access to all this information. Because at least before you found out all of this information that you found out here, um, you could live in the dark about it. but. Uh, <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, but no longer um, this miracle plant that's changed my life and so many other people's lives is here. Uh, it is catching mainstream day by day. It's becoming more and more popular. More and more people are getting it. So to make sure that you're incorporating these five pillars of health, uh, we are going to have accountability programs. We're going to have communities. We're going to lift each other up. We're going to check in on a regular basis. We're going to have coaching calls. We're going to have one-on-one -on -one calls. We want you to live your life the way you want to live. And, you know, it's, it's, it's January 15th. And there's a reason why we're doing take control of your health in the middle of January, because this is about the time most people start to fall off of their new year's resolutions for staying healthy. So we wanted to pick you up and lift you up and support you in getting what you know is right for yourself, for your life. So after lunch, we're gonna talk about the fourth pillar of the five pillars of holistic health, which is water. So uh, such an important topic and uh, people, a topic that people don't really understand. And there's a lot of mixed messages about water out there. So we're gonna come back after a lunch break. Hopefully um, there won't be a lot of cheeseburgers and fries mixing <laughs> proteins and carbohydrates and fast foods and processed foods and refined sugars and we'll make some good choices and and get yourself some whole plant food um, leafy greens things that actually remember every choice we make whether it be what we put into our minds like we talked about this morning with steve rizzo for mindset or what we put into our mouth is either helping you or hurting you so make conscious decisions uh you have been educated so uh but uh, yeah thank you everyone for joining us if you're attending here live or if you're catching this on the recordings um, you know, maybe 300 years from now, people may be watching this and being like, wow, those, that is some really good information those people are talking about, but everybody knows you're supposed to eat your daily cannabis, duh. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Kenna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.